together. I am a wife and a mother and an insurance agency owner, a friend and a PTA advocate. I am so excited to talk about all of the things that I find most precious here within our community, within our lives and within our faith, friendships and relationships. Here on Heather's Most Precious. Y'all, welcome back to another episode of Heather's Most Precious. And as we conclude our educational series that we have been traveling along the last several episodes, um, I could not think of a better way to do it than by hearing from a superintendent and um, just the, the perfect finale. So I do want to introduce to y'all Dr. Melissa Sador. Uh, it's great to be here, Heather, and, and hopefully I live up to the hype. <laughs> yes, you will. Absolutely. And Dr. Sador, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your background. Sure, I'd be happy to. So this is my 32nd year in education. I started out in a rural community in Arizona uh, near the Mexico-U.S. border. Uh, Sierra Vista, Arizona, and uh, it was actually where I went to school and graduated high school from, and my husband and I moved back, and I started teaching there at, right out of college. I uh, was a teacher there in the district for 12 years, and then I moved into administration. I was an assistant principal and a principal, and uh, during my, um, my college uh, doctoral program, uh, I took some superintendent coursework and got certified. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to throw my hat in the ring and ended up applying to Stanfield Elementary School District, where I've been the superintendent now. This is my 13th year, and I absolutely love it. So that is my education journey in a nutshell. And there's a lot of other things I've done, and I hope I get a chance to uh, dive into them a little bit with you. Absolutely. Goodness, 32 years. It's been it gone in the blink of an eye. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. Really? Is there, obviously you have shared that there are multiple roles that you have held throughout the 32 years in education and um, from classroom to administration, now mm -hmm. superintendent. Has there been a favorite out of all of the roles? Have you had a favorite? Ooh, you know, um, that's a really good question. And I'd have to say all of them because they're all fantastic in different ways. I mean, obviously, uh, being able to work with students in a classroom setting as a classroom teacher is amazing. And that's really, that's where, where my heart is as an educator is, you know, with kids. Mm -hmm. um, but being able to support the uh, education system from a site level position and move a school forward and grow teachers as well as grow students, um, that was a very enjoyable part of my journey. And then as a superintendent, being able to leverage community and governing board and teachers and staff towards student academic outcomes and other outcomes in a positive way, you know, being able to have that kind of impact, I think the, the superintendency has just been a real pleasure to have as a vehicle to do that, not just one school or one classroom, but really a community at large. Yes. So they're all, yeah. they're all my favorite. <laughs> Of course. And that's such a brilliant answer. And I do believe, obviously, we know to be 
at the level that you are, you would have had to have held all of these roles. But do you feel like you would be successful without having experienced these, the different layers? I know, I, you know, I think it gives you a very um, holistic experience to be able to pull from. I don't think I would be as effective as an administrator if I had not ever had the classroom experience. Um, and being in the trenches as a teacher really prepares you for taking that administration seat. Um, I, I think you, you miss a big part of what it is to be in the classroom and what it is to work with students and parents in that way. Um, so I think it really informs the work that I've done as an administrator to have had that experience. Of course. Now, was this always your goal to, to no. be seated where you are now? Okay. No, no, I started, I think I'm, I'm not alone when I say I never intended to leave the classroom. I, I loved mm -hmm. teaching, um, but there was an opportunity to get my principal certification. And then there was an opportunity to step into an administ administrative position as an AP. And I thought, well, if not now, then when am I going to do it? So I took it and uh, have had the opportunities just open up in the course of my career. But I think it is absolutely vital for an administrator to have that classroom experience if they want to really be effective and impactful. Absolutely. I'm, I can sense such a passion from the classroom to administration to now superintendent, um, which is such a beautiful thing and gift. Do you feel like there are certain attributes that you hold that have allowed you to be more successful um, within the position you currently hold? Well, I would certainly say grit. Um, this is not an easy position to take on. And so um, being able to get something done that you say you're going to do and follow through on promises and make sure that things are moving in the right direction, I think is is one thing that has um, served me well. Um, I, patience, <laughs> um, just being able to know that things don't happen quickly and change does not happen overnight um, and having the patience to say, okay, we're going to take it one step at a time and be okay with slow change. If we're moving forward, we're moving. Um, and, and so that's been helpful. Um, and then, you know, a sense of humor. And being able to just enjoy the journey and enjoy the people around me um, and have fun with it. Because if you're not having fun while you're doing your work, it really feels like work. And really 32 years yes. has not felt like work. It's been enjoyable. I love that so much. And there's so much truth in that statement. Um, the, the Being passionate and having that balance. Mm -hmm. Yes, getting the job done, but being able to have a joyous attitude towards it really does allow you to make even more of a difference and reach even further. And, and, and I know that even in the realms that I have worked, you want to be around people who enjoy what they do. That's such a big thing. Absolutely. Yes. What is one of the most interesting things that you have been able to accomplish as a superintendent? Ooh, just one? <laughs> as many um, as you want to share. <laughs> okay. Well, 
I would say that there's a couple that are happening right now. The first is that I was able to get involved with the National Rural Education Association, which mm-hmm. is um, a wonderful organization that really does support rural education across the country. Um, and I am taking on their um president's position on the executive board starting in January. I was elected uh, two years ago and I'm my presidency starts this January, which I've been able to meet a lot of wonderful people, interesting people, heard a lot of great things about rural education and then was exposed to a lot of things we need to fix and we need to mm-hmm. champion and we need to advocate for. So I'm looking forward to stepping into that role. So that I know is going to be a very interesting time in my career. Um, The other thing that I've got uh, happening right now, currently I'm working on um, a book. It's called The Resilient Rural Leader, and it is a guide around challenges and innovative solutions that new people that are coming into rural communities as leaders uh, can use as a resource. Um, When I started the superintendency 13 years ago, there was not a lot out there for rural leadership to use as resources. Uh, And what was there was very urban centric. And so I was lucky that I had a superintendent friend and then the previous um, leader in my my current district, uh, both of them mentored me. And without that mentorship, I would not have been as successful as I have been able to become. But a lot of leaders in rural communities don't have that. And so Mm -hmm. having a starting point or a jumping off point where they can say, okay, I've got issues around broadband, or there's talks of consolidation in my school community, or I'm trying to figure out where I can go to recruit teachers. Those conversations, when you don't have a partner to to have with you around them, um, are hard. And so it's something that I was pretty passionate about putting something out there for rural leadership new leaders, but also veteran leaders that are just stuck in how do I solve this problem in front of me uh, to use as a resource. And so that's going to be coming out from ASCD in March of 2024. So two, two things right now that are on my plate that I'm finding to be interesting. That's amazing. Congratulations. Those are both huge opportunities. And you obviously have a wealth of knowledge to be able to share and I think to help be a piece of developing other people's leadership and allowing them, you have, you have given them a roadmap and that's a beautiful thing um, to be able to do. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm excited about it. So hopefully uh, when it comes out, I'm able to, um, to be a resource for people across the country. I love that so much. We will definitely be looking at that. That's coming up right around the corner. And what would you say that your leadership style is? Well, it's evolved. I think right now I have a very open style. I um, want to be approachable. I want to be supportive. Um, and so really I lead from behind. And uh, when people need to have me come alongside, I'll do that. When they need to have me support from in front, I'll guide. Um, but really I want to make sure I'm developing the people around me. So I am sure that the support realm, you remember being in the classroom and how crucial it is to have a strong support base, 
even when you probably don't even know that you need it. And I love that that is a probably the most vital piece of your leadership style is that strong support system for teachers. Is there a certain route that they have to go or a certain chain of command in order to have access to you? No. And the reason for that is because I'm a single site LEA, which means my district is rather small in terms of of size of the district. Uh, One school, 450 students. And so uh, I do have a principal. I am the superintendent business manager and she runs the school. So Uh, my door is an open door. And so if there's a teacher that needs to to see me or there's another staff member that needs to see me, they can certainly do that. Absolutely. Now, I know our school systems here in Tennessee, we have got superintendents. We have our main superintendent, but they're kind of spider webs. And those are also called superintendents of learning communities which throws me off because Hmm. where I grew up, we had one superintendent and that was the head honcho of the the school system. Um, And that has been a little bit difficult for, I think, some of us parents and and guardians to understand. But I, I will say it seems to be really good here to have the superintendent to try to have that first level of assistance. And then if we need to take it, the need arises, then we can um, continue right up the chain if we need to. Sure. Obviously, there are things different that you have there. Is this very common for all of your state or is this strictly where you are that this is the way the school system is? Typically in Arizona, uh, we have 230 public school districts, traditional public. Uh, And then we have another 150 charter, public charter schools. Um, So there's a lot of different districts. And uh, Mm -hmm. that means that there are the potential to have a lot of different types of organizations within those. Mm -hmm. But I would say for the most part, we have uh, a superintendent at the top. And then uh, depending on the size of the district, then there may be assistant superintendents or associate superintendents that have a particular focus, like there'll be a, a CFO that's in charge of all of the fiscal operation of the district, or you might have a, an operations um, assistant superintendent. Uh, maybe you'll have one for curriculum and learning. Very good. Now, you mentioned you are the superintendent of the elementary. So is there also one in, in your rural area for middle and high school? That's a good question. Arizona, I think, is one of the few that has three different possible setups for traditional public. You can be a K-8 district, which is what I am. So we go kindergarten through eighth grade. Uh, You can be a 9-12 district, so a high school district. Or you can be a K-12 and have all 12 uh, grade levels plus your kinder. Uh, within one district. And it depends on when and where the district was founded. And so my particular district is an elementary district and it feeds into a high school district outside of Casa Grande, Arizona, which is about an hour south of Phoenix. And um, there are five other elementary school districts that feed into that particular high school district. Okay. 
Is there a favorite way that you have? I know you've mentioned you have an open door policy as far as the support that you're able to give both your teachers and your administration. Um, is there a favorite way that you have to support? Is that going into the classroom? Is that just a counseling session? What does that look like? It depends on the needs of the person in front of me. I mean, it, okay. all of the above. It could be uh, finding a resource. It could be doing a site visit. It could be coming into a classroom. It could be uh, walking the campus. Um, it it really does depend. And I, I think that that's part of the fun about that kind of position is that you get to see all of it and you get to be involved with all of it, which is, you know, pretty typical in a rural community where you're wearing a lot of hats, you have to be a holistic leader and you have to be ready to do anything at any time for anybody. Right. Do you notice a big difference in the support that you offer the younger grade levels, maybe a kindergarten teacher versus an eighth grade? Um, my, my principal is the one that typically is going to be more responsive to those day-to-day -day needs that the teachers have. My job is to make sure that she can. If there's okay. something that she needs, then I need to make sure that she gets it. If there's a teacher that has uh, professional development needs. Okay. I love that you have brought up all of the different ways that it could look and all of those center around good communication. Mm. You being, being rural, which we are, um, I'm within a city. So this is very foreign for me um, with my children um, and, and where they are in school. Is your community there pretty strong? Do people have very, very strong relationships within and outside of your school? That's such a great question, Heather. And the answer is yes. The Stanfield community is a very diverse and interesting group of people. Um, our community boundary is 600 square miles, but it's not very sparse. It's sparsely populated. There's not a center as far as density. Really, the community hub is the school. Everything happens at the school and the post office, but I mean that's that's a different that's a different <laughs> that's a story. So, because that being said, that the school is the hub, um, we have had families that are multi generational and have lived in the community for three and four generations as ranchers and as farmers, and then we also have twenty five percent of our population that comes from the Tohono Autumn Reservation which uh, those Native American students also have longevity in their communities, their villages. And so when you bring those two, um, two parts of our uh, boundaries together at the school, you have this rich interconnection of diverse cultures and backgrounds, and we have the opportunity to meld them together. And really those relationships as a result of those families having been there generation after generation and working with each other and celebrating together and being a community together really around the school and, and supporting students and, and what's happening at the school. It's pretty solid. When you have a teacher that comes to Stanfield, one of the first things that they typically say about our school culture is that it's a family. And it Aww. really is true. Um, we are a family. I love that so much. It's, it's so necessary. 
everyone always says it takes a village. And we know that that's true. But when you actually are able to see that that is the community y'all have cultivated there, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. And would you mind sharing your one of your greatest challenges that you have faced in your current position? I I would say it's staff uh, recruitment and retention right now. Um, and it's not just right now. We have for the last couple of years had some pretty big concerns around getting drivers to our transportation department. Um, and we will train them in-house, but we train them and then they leave. And then we train new ones and then they leave. So we've had a heavy turnover with, uh, with transportation drivers. Um, and, and the reason for that is, you know, we have a lot of, of um, agriculture and dairy that use trucks to get things from place to place. And they pay a lot more than we do. And so once they get that CDL, they're very, very marketable in our communities. Um, so, and then the other thing that I would say is a challenge is, um, we, as part of not being able to, uh, not being able to pull, uh, staff into the community. I mean, we get them, they stay, but we still have open positions and, uh, our salary schedule is not as, uh, high as the communities around us because we have not been able to, uh, pass the secondary override tax, which can then be used in the school community for um, for our budget. I would say that those two things right now are the things that keep me up at night. And we're getting ready to go into hiring season come February and getting contracts out and looking for people that might be able to fill those open positions that we know are coming open um, for the next school year. Uh, and it's going to be, it's increasingly hard to get anybody to apply for uh, for positions in rural communities and ours is not the exception to that. Is that something that you feel like the pay could increase at some point or do you feel like it is always going to be pretty consistent with where you are now? That's a really <laughs> that's a real good question and I wish I had a crystal ball. Uh, I would say that probably um, we are always going to struggle with being able to have the same kind of salary schedules as our neighbors. Okay. Is it, are there other benefits that you, you all are able to offer that do you offset that a little bit? Well, uh, it's a great place to work. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and we do pay 100% of their uh, medical, uh, dental, and life uh, insurances. Wow. So we have made that commitment and the other districts have varying degrees of support around those things. Um, so one of the things that we tend to target is, you know, their total, their total package when it comes to being a Stanfield Roadrunner. Not only do you, you know, get a, a base pay, but we also do some pretty nice benefits on top of that. And then we also um, will, will pay to send people back to school because being rural means that you may have more than one subject that you're teaching and you have to be certified in both if you're over, uh, over the um, sixth grade um, level and level and up. That's amazing. So definitely some perks outside mm -hmm. of that. But I do understand it seems like um, there's always, always a revolving door when it comes to staffing, even at our local schools here in Chattanooga, which is very, very metro. It is, it's very hard. 
and um, and not all of it is related to wanting something different or pay, but it does make it more challenging for those who do choose to stay that are now having to yep. add responsibilities onto their already full plates. I know we have talked about a lot and, and kind of uncovered some of the goals that y'all have. Is there one focal goal that you have as you go into every year or does is there kind of a moving target where the goal co- is it consistently changing? Well, obviously, we are always uh, looking at student academic outcomes, right? Um, it's it's how we're graded at the state level. It's how we get uh, grant funding. Um, so we always want to make sure that our students are succeeding academically. Um, but I think that uh, the other thing that's really important for me as a leader is not just focusing on a test score. We want to focus on the whole child. And so what other supports are we putting in place? What can we bring into the system that's going to help not just the students, but their families? Uh, and then ensuring that staff is, is able to, um, to do that work that they need to do as well, whether it's professional learning or supports in, in their classroom or wherever it is that they're, they're working in in the district. I know you've said, you know, we've talked about briefly testing and how y'all are still looking at the whole child. And I, as a parent, I absolutely despise that. I have one child that, I mean, he could never study and he would just get an A on everything. And another that experiences test anxiety. And so for me, I just, ooh, it's just so unfortunate that you are basing whether he goes on to an X grade or, and even his teacher off of his test score that there are other factors yes. that definitely pay, play a role in that. And I'm sure we could we would see that anywhere that you go. There are going to be children that struggle with that. What is your philosophy um, towards state-mandated testing? Um, you know, I, I think that you've got to have some marker of, of or an indicator of where a student started and where they ended up. Because if you don't have that data, you're, you're potentially targeting the wrong things for growth and support. Um, I don't think one test that is done after the fact and has no impact on future teaching necessarily for that particular child has a lot of impact for that particular child. I think it informs the system. I don't think it informs the family. And so is there a need to assess and know where they are and how they're progressing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but having, and it basically is a post-mortem on their year in a single test to, to have some kind of indication that that's whether or not they were successful. I, I think that that's short-sighted and I don't think it's um, holistic enough. So yeah, is there importance in, in having the data? Yes. Is there other things we also need to have as far as considerations? Absolutely. And that's what I would like to see as well. Yeah. Do you feel like the data is accurate when when you know that there are definitely a lot of, once again, multi-factors that go into this and depending on classroom and, and child and upbringing, all of that, do you feel like they are actually accurate? Well, and I'm going to speak obviously from my Arizona experience. Right. Um, I would say that if you get into state assessment as a teacher and you don't know where your students are performing, you've not been doing data 
collection along the way and having data drive your instruction. You should, you should have a handle on where students are before they even get to the first day of the state test. And most of, most teachers do. That's how they're using data. Um, they're looking at it consistently, uh, often over time, and they're using it to ensure that students aren't developing gaps and that they're filling them when they need to be filled. They're responding to. Absolutely. And how is testing used in your district to evaluate the teachers themselves? Hmm. So we obviously have a desire to ensure that our teachers are growing just like our students. And so what we're doing is we're assessing if there is an area, a subject, um, a strand of, of state standards where teachers are not moving students forward, we can target that particular teacher for professional learning. Um, so that's, that's really how we're using that data. Um, it's really to inform how, would, how do we support this teacher so that they're doing what they need to do for students in the classroom. Right. And um, obviously, this is a piece, as, as you have identified, um, to, to help ensure that you are picking up on potential issues that y'all have, whether it's from the teacher standpoint, from the child, from learning, making sure that there is, we are bridging that gap. And um, how else are you able to identify potential issues outside of testing? Mm. Well, uh, obviously, if there are parents that bring concerns to us, that's probably um, low-hanging fruit, right? If we have a parent that has concerns and they they share them with us, then we're able to do something with it. My student's not reading or they're having a hard time with math and I can't help them with it. Something else that, that we do at Stanfield is um, we have a data wall. Uh, so we are continually uh, ensuring that our professional learning communities, which are made of grade level teachers, um, who are consistently planning together, talking through uh, the standards that they're going to be teaching, how students are doing on those standards. They've got their formative assessments in front of them and their comments so that they can talk around what's working and what's not working. What did you do that I didn't because your results are better than mine? I want to do the same thing so that my results can improve um, those conversations. But through those talks, um, they're also able to identify, okay, we have some needs here and, and we're not meeting the mark. Absolutely. Now you touched on the first point there, you brought in kind of parents bringing matters to your attention that they're seeing in their household with their children specifically with the way that how would a parent share their need? Is it still the chain of command, the teacher, and then to potentially the assistant to the principal? Or could they come to you directly? What does that look like? I think it depends on the need. So if we're talking about a behavioral need um, and there's been some issues around behavior and potentially office referrals or, or things have gotten uh, to the point where administration has stepped in to assist mm -hmm. the teacher, um, that might come to me, but my first question to the parent would be, have you talked to the principal and have you talked to the teacher? Because I do want to make sure that it, it we want to solve problems at the lowest level possible because it's always the easiest way to solve them. Absolutely. And speaking of developing skills, if there is someone that is interested in pursuing the same career track that you have, even if it was unexpected. And um, what advice would you give to them 
in order or, or what skills would they maybe need to develop in order to be successful? Well, I, I would say that um, it served me well to go through the university that I did to get my degree. Um, I went and got my master's in elementary education and then uh, on to educational leadership. And um, that put me in a position where I had the certificate and could step into the role of, of assistant principal and then principal. And then obviously getting my superintendent certification during my doctoral coursework was also another opportunity. So I would recommend that even though we know that student teaching did not prepare you for teaching <laughs> and right. going through a principal prep program does not really prepare. I mean, it, you, you get a small slice and you get the theory behind and the foundation uh, to start from uh, for those leadership um, things that come in front of you. I, so I would say that that's probably important. The other thing that I think is important is if you are interested in pursuing leadership, get involved with a network of other leaders that are currently doing what you want to do and mm -hmm. see if one of them will mentor you. That's a great way to start stepping into that space and seeing if it's really for you. Um, leadership is not for everybody. I, you know, I right. had a, an assistant principal that took over a principal's position after I uh, moved to Stanfield. Uh, she got a principal's position and she was there for a couple of years and then decided this is not for me and I'm, I'm going to do something different because I was okay with assistant principal, but mm -hmm. I don't want to be in the hot seat on a daily basis for a site. Um, so it's not for everybody. Uh, and, and I think, you know, if you can at least get exposure through people that are doing the job that can mentor and support you and can sponsor you into those positions when they're coming open, um, because they're going to know when they're coming open. Uh, they can support you getting into that, um, to that pipeline. Um, that's something else I would recommend. If you can remember back to when you first did accept this role um, and were kind of live as the superintendent, um, what do you feel like for any superintendent, regardless of where you are, um, some of the, the most crucial first steps are? Number one, listening. You've got to listen and um, make sure that you really get a clear understanding before you make any kind of big sweeping changes or decisions that might have impact. Uh, you need to get to know the community. Even if you've been involved in the community in a different position, I still think it's important because you're coming into a different seat, which means you have now a different perspective that you've got to learn, um, listening, and just being very careful about collecting information and um, knowing who does what and who the players are and who, mm -hmm. um, you know, where the, well, where everything is and then what the desires of the community are moving forward, um, getting to know that. So I, I would recommend that. The other thing I would say is making sure that you have a network of support because leadership can be lonely. And if you think it's lonely at the site level, it's even lonelier at the superintendent's level. Um, there are only, you know, 
230 of us across the state that can get together wow. and commiserate around things that are like uh, in, in terms of reports that we have to do or things coming out of the legislature that we have to deal with or things that state board is, is um, instituting that we've got to respond to. Um, and none of them work in my building. None of them are across town from me. So it's, it's important to be intentional about creating a network of support. What is it going to look like? Who's going to be involved in it? Do you have a mentor that you could reach out to on a regular basis? And having more than one is absolutely right. okay. Absolutely. I think all of those are great things. Um, and I'm so grateful that we were able to cover such a wide variety of content today and that the entire series has been to be able to share the perspective that we don't know. Anyone can assume they know what happens or, um, and, and we all know what assume means. And so <laughs> just the ways that as families and as community members, we can help support those that are in the educational industry and, and really just understanding the roles that each of you are in, whether it's the classroom, whether it's the counselor's office, whether it is administration or, or whether it's from, from your perspective as a superintendent, understanding the responsibilities that y'all have is really important for us to understand how we can come alongside and help support and also maybe not jump to the conclusion that so often, especially I will be the first to say, mama bear can jump out sometimes when our children are involved. And so sometimes it is hard to remember, oh, wow, hang on. Maybe I can't see all of the the pieces here that are moving around behind the scenes. And that was truly the goal of this is really just to say, okay, help, you know, to help our, our listeners understand and, and be able to make that sound judgment as well as, hey, here is the proper way to communicate with said teacher or admin. And all of those are so important. But I am so grateful that this was the finale. And just for the knowledge that you have and have been able to share with us, um, I am so, so grateful. Now, at the beginning of our call, um, Dr. Sadorf, you did mention that you have a book coming out in March, which is so exciting. But I know that you also have a podcast. And before we end this, I do want you to be able to share a little bit about um, what what your podcast does and, and what the intention is behind it. Oh, thanks, Heather. So my podcast is called The Rural Scoop. And uh, it started five years ago, six years ago, and really it was to highlight things that were working in rural communities across Arizona. And I've since had an opportunity to expand that reach nationally, and I've talked to people from all over the country about what's going on in rural that's great and what are some of the challenges that they're having, um, and then talk about some solutions to them, which really, if you think about it, is kind of what I did in my book. <laughs> Right. But, uh, <laughs> highlighting that that there really are some amazing things happening out there in rural education. Um, and uh, it's sometimes something we don't often get a chance to talk about, the successes. We hear a lot about the negative things that are happening and all the, the barriers. And, and it, there are really, really good things happening. And so highlighting them, I thought, was important. So the rural scoop, that's what I'm... 
um, also working on. And, and hopefully, Heather, I get a chance to have you on as a parent. Uh, yes. It would be fun to, to get your perspectives around what's working for your students in your community as well. Absolutely. I would be honored. It has been, once again, just an absolute joy to get to know you, to hear the passion um, that you do have for not only rural education, but for your your school family, for your community there. And that is so, so important. I think sometimes it is very, very easy to get to the top and to to want to make a power play, but to hear you still say that you want to support and you want to listen and you want people to understand how valued they are in their roles. That is so, so important. And I'm I'm just really grateful um, that we were able to, to spend this time together and make that connection. And so thank you again so, so much for being a part of Heather's Most Precious in the finale of our educational series. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Throughout this series, you have heard different ways that you can come alongside to support um, different teachers in your community. If you do have questions or if you are wondering of additional ways that you can support not only your school's classroom, but maybe even your admin or superintendent, please reach out to us, Heather's Most Precious at gmail.com, or you can find us on social media. Um, as always, we are so, so grateful um, to bring content to you that can help challenge what you believe in, as well as the perspective that you have. I hope that y'all will encourage each other to be supportive of those who work so, so hard to bring up this future generation. Thanks, y'all. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.